Good morning, Redeemer's Church. Well, this morning I have a clogged left ear. I got some water. Sometimes I get water in my, my, my left ear and it just like has a hard time leaving. So all that means is that if you don't amen me, I will go to like 1 p.m. because I won't think that you hear me because I can barely hear myself. Can I get, let's just do a test real quick. Amen. Amen. Okay, one more time. Amen. Okay, good. All right, sweet. That's not a manipulative ploy for you to <laughs> affirm my message and all. So, hey, we're going to begin a new message series for the next several weeks going through the, uh, through the book of Philippians. Philippians. And um, I don't know uh, how it came about, but I just felt like the Lord uh, highlighted this book uh, in my heart and said, hey, I want you to teach and preach through this book. So we're going to take a journey. And uh, I, I, I kind of titled it Summer Reading. How many of you, uh, growing up in school, you had a teacher that assigned you summer reading that you never read? <laughs> what an exercise of futility on a teacher's point. <laughs> Your assignment through the summers to read through this. Nope. Not going to do it. And so, <laughs> rebellion? Yep. That's exactly what it is, Eloise. You said it loud enough for me to hear. Uh, that's exactly, who does that? Who says, hey, you're out of school, but I want you to continue to be in school in the summer by reading something. So what we're going to do as you're adults and you're way more mature, uh, we're going to read through a book to finish the summer. And uh, this book is the book of Philippians. It has between 20 and 30 verses in every chapter. And so what I want to encourage you, your, your school assignment per se, is to read the chapter leading into the week that we're going to preach on it. And so your assignment this week is to read Philippians chapter 2 before next Sunday, as we will primarily be in Philippians chapter 2. But to be honest, I don't even know if we'll get all the way through Philippians chapter 1, because there's so much in this book. If you uh, know anything about Philippians, you know that there are hallmark scriptures in this book. These are, there are scriptures that are mined through the book of Philippians that, uh, that are decorating the halls of Hobby Lobbies across the nation. Amen. You got, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That comes from this book. You got, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's probably not on a Hobby Lobby photo because it's too long. But that's an, a hallmark scripture. Uh, we've got, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the coming day of Jesus Christ. So there are so many different scriptures here. I think there's another one. Whatever's true, lovely, excellent, admirable, whatever. Continue. Anybody? Anybody know the rest of that? If, any, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. There's so much in this book to mine through. But one of the things that you cannot do when you're reading the book of Philippians is not understand that the, the further step beyond just reading the words is understanding that this highlights the person of Paul. This highlights the author. This highlights his journey in ministry. And one of the things that I want to highlight from the, from the get-go is the fact that um, we just got off of the back of a sermon series called Resolve for Revival. And one of the things that becomes so clear about the purpose of revival is revival is bringing dead things back to life so that when you are now alive, you choose to die for the sake of the gospel. It's a cycle. 
you, 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 you are revived so that you now lay down your life for the purpose of the gospel. And so what we see in the person of Paul who wrote this book is a person who was not only bringing revival, but he was choosing to lay down his life. Choosing to lay down his life. We, that last song, Have It All, I love it because one of the scriptures or one of the phrases and lyrics in this, uh, this song is, oh, the joy I found surrendering my crown at the feet of, of the king. You know, that's the life of Paul. And not only that, but that is a microcosm of the journey of every person who gives your, their life to Jesus. Do you know that, that your first surrender to God is not the last one? When you give your life to Jesus, that's the first of several. That's the first of many. And I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't have faith in Jesus. Well, that first step is that initial surrender to Jesus to say, you know what? My life doesn't have any meaning or purpose or value pursuing my own things. My life only has value when it is connected to the creator of my life. And so I need to take that step of faith and I need to lay down my life and say, you know what? I want to pick up whatever you have for me. That's that initial surrender, that initial step of faith. But after that, God in his grace and his sovereignty begins to continue to work on your heart to take you, to take you to, into more steps of surrender, more steps of surrender, and more steps of surrender. And then what ultimately you do is you look back at your life and you have no idea how you got where you got and what you were doing. And it's all traced back to the fact that God has been working in your heart in and through you to get you to surrender more and more and more and more. If you want to make an impact in the world, it's on the other side of surrender after surrender. It really is. And so whatever your last surrender was, that's not the last one. And so we see in the life of Paul, just surrender after surrender after surrender after surrender. And so I just want to encourage you as we read the Bible and as you go through the Philippians. Now, here's the deal. That's your assignment, but you don't have to do it. I don't care. You can read Philippians chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, whatever. I don't care. That's up to you. But I'm just saying that if you do choose to read those chapters, I want to encourage you not to just read it, but allow it to read you. Because that's the difference between Scripture and any other book. I didn't read The Hobbit and get inspired to travel to Middle Earth. Because The Hobbit doesn't read you. You just read it. But the scripture is alive and active according to Hebrews 6, chapter 12, is it not? And what that means when it says it's alive and active, it means that it actually reads you as you read it. I love this scripture. Look at it. It says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing. That means it cuts. It cuts. As far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, soul and spirit, you know what that is? That is literally the deepest core of who you are. There is no deeper spot than getting all the way down to where your soul and spirit are connected. That's what the word of God does, is it cuts all the way to that core and it judges the, both the thoughts and the intentions of the, of the heart. That word judge is it's not bringing condemnation and criticism. 
it's actually the word discern. Discern. You know why that's so important? To be able to have the word of God discern the thoughts and the intentions of your heart because of what the word of God says in another place in Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else who can know it. We, if we would all agree, there are moments in our lives we don't even know our own heart. So we have to have the word of God cut to the core of who we are because the danger of deception is that you don't even know it. Until you're confronted with the discernment of the thoughts and intentions of your heart through the word of God. See, if there's any other thing that I can encourage you to do this morning, please read the Bible, not just so you check it off your spiritual checklist, but so that you are bringing the invitation of the Holy Spirit to highlight scriptures that will cut through everything in you and expose, expose you to your own self because there are moments in our lives that we don't even know who we are until we have the creator address it. And so this is what the scripture does. Allow the word of God to read you. Look at what the message translation says. This is so amazing. His powerful word is as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey nothing, and no one can resist God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. So good. So with that being said, let's open the word of God. Turn to Philippians chapter one. If you have your Bible, say, I'm already there. If you don't have it, it's no big deal. It is plastered up on the big screen. Philippians chapter 1. And so what we're going to do is we are going to read through the, the first chapter, and then we're going to go back. And honestly, we probably won't get through half of the first chapter after we go back through it. So first, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Love this verse. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that we need grace? We need grace. If you look at every letter that Paul preaches, he addresses who he is uh, sending it to with grace to you. And that's not just a concept. What he is saying when he says grace to you is he's actually, uh, it, is, it is lathered in intercession that the person of Jesus would be present with you as you read the instructions, as you read the inspiration, as you read the commands of the letter that he's sending. Because he knows that apart from grace, we don't have the capacity to follow it all. Okay, we talked about grace in the month of June. Grace is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved kindness and favor of God towards you. But it is also what empowers you to do what God calls you to do. It's not one or the other, it's both. And so what Paul knows is there's a lot in this word. There's a lot in this letter that I'm sending to you, and you may be intimidated. Has anyone uh, heard, has anyone uh, asked you to do something that as soon as you hear it, you're immediately overwhelmed, like, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to do that. Anybody? Yeah. Guess what? 
before the invitation or the ask was there, there was a supernatural grace available to you to be able to do it. So the overwhelming is you only being aware of your capacity. So when Paul says grace to you, he's saying, hey, I've already prayed before I sent this letter. I've prayed that God would be present as you are reading it. So when you come across things are, that are challenging, overwhelming, things you think you're not able to do, I want you to know that there is an anointing called grace that is able to empower you to do the things you don't think you can do on your own. So that's how he greets them. Can I encourage you this morning? Whatever you hear in here that you're like, nope, not me, can't do it. There's a grace that I've already prayed that you would have when you hear what you hear. All right? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, every one of you, whether you, do, you believe in Jesus or not, you don't come to Jesus because of your own decision. You come to Jesus because of the legwork that the Holy Spirit makes before you even come to Jesus. So the good work of salvation, if you're saved, he's already been working through you. So he's already in the process of the good work and he's the one that will perfect it. Allow God to continue the process of perfecting you, no matter where you are. So he says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day and now, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long with you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. If there's anything you get out of the sermon, you read the, read the first ch chapter of Philippians 1 this morning. You can't go wrong with reading the word. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of chapter one. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That is a surrendered life statement. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brothers trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without, year, uh, without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The, for the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. That's so shady. <laughs> You got these guys that are jealous about the influence and the effectiveness of Paul in spreading the mission of Jesus. They see that he's locked up, so they try to come in on his converts and his followers and distort his message so that they can posture themselves as as successful in the ministry as Paul. And he's like, well, that's, that's not awesome. 
But I want you to see the perspective here because I think this is so, this is a kingdom mindset. And if I can stop, because this is not even in my notes, but I really feel like this is such a important key to the progression of the kingdom of God in America today. Listen to Paul's attitude. Now he could be frustrated. He could be trying to control everything, but listen to what he says. Uh, the former, verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of my selfish ambition, rather than out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? You know what that is? Who cares? So what? I'm not going to allow your tactic to bring me discouragement. And look at this kingdom perspective. Only that in every way, whether by your pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I will rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest, Pastor Dwight read this last week, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What is Paul saying? Man, we need to stop right here. We have an overexposure in America to every single person that's preaching the message of Jesus. And our propensity is to be the discerner by God of their intent and whether or not their message is anything worth hearing. And then what ends up happening is we never go out and do anything because we posture ourselves from, from, from a position that it is God's call on our life to be the discerner of every message. And Paul said, I don't have time. I don't have time for me to discern the heart of every single preacher. What I will celebrate is that no matter the motivation of the heart, Christ is being preached. You know what that does? That does not give us the right from the pulpit to preach messages that are in contradiction to the churches. We don't like how they're doing stuff. Be kingdom minded. It doesn't matter what the other church is preaching. It doesn't matter if you think their message is seeker sensitive. Who cares? Is Jesus being preached or not? That's a kingdom mindset. Paul says, I don't have time to, to, to pride myself on being the discerner of whether or not their ministry is valid or not. I have too much work to do. Can I tell you, if you want to know one of the subtle ways that the enemy will keep you unproductive for the advancement of the gospel, it'll be that. We're on a daily basis rather than moving around your circle and reaching the people within your circle with the message of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, you spend all of your time on YouTube dissecting the sermons that you see. And then what you do is you spread that message to everybody instead of the message of Jesus because you want them to think that you're so spiritually superior that you actually don't even do the mission of the gospel. I don't really tell anybody about Jesus, but let me tell you about what they told someone else about Jesus. Here's the four critical flaws. Get over yourself and do something for somebody. Amen. Paul said, I don't have time. 
I really don't have time to discern and dissect whether or not this is a quality presentation. What I will rejoice in is that Jesus is being preached and wherever Jesus is being preached, do not underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to purify from the voice to the ear what the message is. Man. Got to be kingdom minded, y'all. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is another Hobby Lobby scripture. For to, but actually, this probably wouldn't be the one on the wall because it's not. I'm on YouTube, but I'm just going to say it because this is me. This next scripture is not spiritually sexy. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's not spiritually sexy. In other words, that's not the one you get tattooed on your shoulder. Okay? That's hard. That requires you to lay down your life. <laughs> that's the one that when you don't like how raw it is, you go to the message translation to see if it says something different. <laughs> For to, me, <laughs> for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for, me, labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. Have you ever been torn? Have you ever been torn between two worlds? He says, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart, to be with Jesus and be, or be with Christ, for that is very much better. However, this is a laid-down life statement. He goes on to say, however, I will remain on in the flesh because it is more necessary for your sake. Do you know that your hand to the plow is more necessary sometimes for other people's sakes? If you want to live a surrendered, laid down, laid down life, then you have to understand that sometimes you can't give up, back out, stop serving because it's not fulfilling your need. You have to understand that there's a reason why we are called the body of Christ because we are interconnected and if you remove yourself, that may cause someone else to limp. And he says, Maybe, Paul's basically vacillating, like, maybe I have the authority of the Holy Spirit like Jesus when he was on the cross and he just gave up his life. Maybe I can just pray, say a prayer and be raptured or pray a prayer and give up the Spirit. But I'm not going to do that because it's actually better for you if I'm around. It's better for you if I remain with my hands to the plow. And this is what he goes on to say. He says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with, all, with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. And then Paul ends on a really high note, really positive. 
he says, for you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Cool. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul's basically like, hey guys, I want to just give you some encouragement. You're probably going to be suffering like I am. That's not encouraging. But I want to go back. Let's go back to this. Uh, verse 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, uh, I, I, I uh, skipped over the, the verse that I wanted to go back. Go back to verse 19. Sorry, guys. Verse 19. Listen to the scripture. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is actually not saying, hey, um, God's going to relieve me of this stuff. I have an expectation of that, that he's going to liberate me of all of the hardship that I'm going through. He's actually, that's not actually the word deliverance. The word deliverance there is the same word for salvation. So what Paul is saying is through all of this, I'm being sanctified to become more like Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I may not get relief from this whole situation, but there's one thing that I can expect, that through my suffering, through my trouble, through my hardship, God is using all of these means to make me more like Christ. Therefore, fast forward to the end verse in chapter one. Uh, chapter one. He said, hey, guess what? Suffering is coming your way as well because it is a joy when that is used by the Holy Spirit to make you more like him. That's the beauty of how we win no matter what. That whether it's awesome or it's crazy hard and you're broken, and you're persecuted, and you're going through trials and tribulations, and you're being, you're, uh, you're experiencing all of this turmoil and all the stress and all of these things, guess what? Every single measure is a way that God produces more and more of his image in you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, suffering is coming your way, and it's not God's punishment. It's God's sharpening of who you are. Embrace it when it comes. Embrace it when it comes. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, now let's go back to verse 3. Verse chap uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 3. Because actually, I think this is probably where, I'll, where, where I will end today. I haven't even gotten through point one of my message. Is this how that feels? It's all good. Start preaching with some post-its. It's an inside joke. I, this is where I want to land today. Okay? Verse, uh, verse 3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel, from the first day until now. Now why, when you read this passage of scripture, when I read this passage of scripture, I cannot help but think, why does Paul have so much joy? Okay, 
you may not understand, but let me give you where, let me give you the circumstance that Paul is writing from. Paul is in prison when he's writing this. Prison is not joyful. Prison's not pleasurable. Okay, this is not a blue, this is not a white collar crime prison. This is not a minimum security prison. You don't get a college education in this prison. And guess what? You don't get an orange jumpsuit, nor do you get three course meals a day. Okay? Now, I'm not saying he's in a dungeon. He's actually on house arrest. He's on house arrest in Rome. Okay? And in, but here's the thing about his house arrest. He's not allowed to leave. He's not allowed to leave the grounds of his home for two years. He is stuck in his house for two years. He can't go out. He is only allowed to have people come to him. And here's the other thing about it. Although he's in house arrest him, he's not getting the meals and the clothes. So he is heavily reliant on outside sources to bring him the provision that he needs. He can't make an income from prison. So he needs people to send him money so that he can send someone out to get food for him and get clothes for him. This is the condition that he's in. Can you imagine what it was like for someone who has spent years all over the world planting churches to now be confined in, in a house, unable to leave? And he says, I thank God as I remember you. I am full of joy. How in the world is Paul full of joy? How in the world is Paul full of joy? Paul is full of joy because joy is not based on circumstance. Joy is based on the person of Jesus. And the most important thing that we need to understand about this, because this letter is literally called the letter of joy. The word rejoice or joy appears multiple times over and over and over and over again. How in the world is Paul able to have joy wherever he is? Here's the key. I need you to, I need you to understand this. His joy is based upon what he has defined his life by. Every one of us has a definition of life. What is, that, what is that definition? It is whatever follows this opener. Life is dot, dot, dot. That's, that's what your definition of life is. I want you to think for a moment. What is your definition of life? Is, is life for you success? Is life for you family? Is life for you the American dream? What is, what is your definition of life? Because whatever your definition of life is, is what will enable you or not to endure anything. What was Paul's definition of life? For to me, life is Christ. For to me, life is Christ. So how does Paul have joy in jail? Because he's not separated from Jesus in jail. How is Paul able to endure being almost 
moments from death, being stoned alive, being beaten to the point where he has to have believers surround him, get on their knees, lay hands on him, and raise him back from the dead? How is Paul able to go through all of these things of life and still have joy? Because his life is defined by Jesus and Jesus alone. If we want to have a, a joy that lasts no matter what, we have to define our life by Jesus. If we don't, the moment the things we've defined our life by are gone, joy goes out the door. And in a world where we have so much that we are privileged with, inundated with, accessible with, accessible to, it is so easy to change how we define our life. But Paul says, I have joy in jail or I have joy outside of jail. Matter of fact, in Philippians 4, how does he say that I've learned to be content no matter the circumstance? He's come to that conclusion because there's no circumstance where he does not have access to what he has defined his life by. Either our lives are about Jesus or they're not. And what circumstances will prove is they will reveal to us what we have defined our life by. And time and time again, why Paul was the most successful missionary, why half of the New Testament is written by Paul, while he, why he did so much more than anyone around that time is because for Paul, he came to the conclusion that my life and my life alone will be about Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as long as I'm alive, I will give my life for Jesus and seeing him glorified, him, him uh, raised up, him glor uh, honored, him and his mission continuing to advance through the world. What do you define your life by? That matters. It really does. The resiliency that you have going through things will be measured by what you have defined your life by. What shakes you is whatever you've defined your life by. And Paul was able to have joy because prison did not rob him of that. Prison couldn't take that away from him. You remember when Jesus said, he said, do not be afraid of anything except that which is able to steal your soul. Right. And Paul, at a soul level, his life was defined but I will give what I have for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Jesus. And can I tell you, in the 56th year of Redeemer's Church, what will determine the growth of our church and the growth of you as a follower of Jesus is making sure that at your soul level, the definition of your life is Jesus and Jesus alone. Because if that's the case, you will be able to endure anything. 
You know the people that you envy for their ability to endure anything? It's not a personality trait. It's that their definition of life has enabled them to endure the very thing that you admire. Will you stand with me? So I guess next week I'm preaching this sermon. (laughs) Which is kind of awesome, Pastor Dwight. That's how you do it, right? You You write a sermon, you don't preach it, and then you're like, I got one next week. Now I understand. I'm I'm learning. (laughs) What defines your life? What defines your life? I'm not saying that defining your life by Jesus and Jesus alone is, is anything easy. But I'm just saying that when you define your life by Jesus and Jesus alone, you will be able to endure anything. There will be nothing in your life that will will sidetrack you or sideline you from what God wants to use your life for. So I just want to encourage you this morning. And can I tell you, I don't know how this message hit you, but as I said before in verse 2, grace to you. Because, man, it's hard to hear. But there's actually a grace from the Holy Spirit himself to say, yeah, you can do that if you're joined with me. That's not easy if you're doing it on your own. But if you will yoke yourself to me and yoke yourself to the grace that I have available for you, you will be able to define your life by Jesus and Jesus alone. And whether this is the, and, and what I believe is that there may be two people in the room There may be those that at one point define their life by Jesus, but the cares of the world have robbed you of the joy of being so intertwined with Jesus and Jesus alone that you begin to replace Jesus with all of these things and you become so codependent on the presence of those things in your life that those things started to be removed and now you don't even know where you are. I want to encourage you this morning to take an inventory, inventory and begin to make the determination. I want to redefine my life by Jesus again. Amen. Maybe there's other people in the room that have never defined their life by Jesus. I'm just telling you this, that there will be a God-shaped hole in your soul for the rest of your life until you fill it with him. Right. And you don't have to have it all figured out. All of this, this message may not even apply to you, because this is almost further down the road. But take the first step of surrender to say, I don't have all the answers. I don't even know all of that. I don't even know how all this works, but I'm willing to put my life before Jesus and say, I want that hole in my soul to be filled with your presence. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes? If that's you today, that second part, where you have really never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you don't even know what that means. All that means is, is, is that God comes into the center of your life and plays, plays a significantly bigger role than he has ever done before. 
where you are actually considering what does God think about the things that I'm doing? And it's a step of faith to say, God, you exist. And God, I have this void in my life that I want you to fill. Will you fill it? If that's you, and today you want to fill that void in your life with Jesus Christ, will you slip your hand up so I can see it? Thank you so much. Thank you. Just give it, I'm just going to give it a moment. Thank you, sir. Now for the second person, or the first person I talked about, you need to redefine your life by Jesus and Jesus alone. Because throughout the course of your life, maybe at one point you had joy because you were all about Jesus, and then throughout life, because of everything that has happened, there are moments that you've been robbed of that joy because there are things in your life that you have put in that place of priority. And today is the day that you want to redefine your life by Jesus and Jesus alone. If that's you, can you slip your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to pray. Jesus, you see the heart of every person in the room. Jesus, I thank you, God, that you are filling souls in the room with your presence. You're giving them the peace of salvation, the joy of salvation, the salvation of salvation. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, you are making your home in people this morning. And so, God, I just ask that you would begin to allow faith to grow in those those. Uh, those people's lives, God, that have made today that day. The second thing, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, for every person in the room that has begun the process this morning of reorienting their life about, uh, around you and you alone. God, for those that at one point defined their life by Jesus, but throughout the course of life have removed you and have begun to put different things and people and places and dreams and ambitions and goals and aspirations in the place that is only for you and you alone, I pray that there would be a removal and you would be put back in that proper place in the souls of our people this morning. God, we love you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that in the days to come, Redeemer's Church would be a church that is marked by a people that define their life by you and you alone. Not by preference, not by personal interests, but by whatever is going to bring you glory and you honor. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said... Amen.